the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. I'm always going to work hard to get you some good ideas and thoughts. If you listen to the show for 15 minutes, I want to think you're going to walk away with one nugget of financial information. Whether it's, it's a great nugget or not, it depends on the day. I get it. My commute's a good hour each way sometimes, so I get the value of it. Like, your time is worth something to me. So I try to do my very, very best. Uh, one of the areas that I want to talk about is that when I was growing up, when my brother David was growing up, he's good eight, ten years older than me, there was, like, people would prep for nuclear bombs still. They would get under their desks in case a nuke hit. Which is pretty funny, telling me that our government wasn't really being honest with what we should be doing. But they were building up kind of a propaganda machine that Russians were bad and they're going to nuke us one day and we'll be safe because we're smarter than they are and going to hide under our chairs. So I kind of grew up in a world where, you know, my brother David knew about Kennedy and Khrushchev and like uh, Cuban Missile Crisis and stuff like that. My middle name came from one of the presidents of the United States. I have the world's worst middle name, Francis. So Kennedy was John Franklin Kennedy. But his Christian name was Francis or something like that. And then Bobby Kennedy, you could see that that's how I got Robert, right? So my family loved the Kennedys. And there was a moment in time when uh, they were shot or he was shot. And my parents were eating hot dogs. They were in Germany. They never, ever ate a hot dog again. That's how traumatic it was. We all remember where we were when 9-11 happened. That was a moment for a different generation, right? So the Cold War... U.S. against Russia. Reagan going, tear that wall down. You know where the Cold War is now? It's U.S. and China and technology. And it's it's for real. Um, the importance of 5G, the importance of intellectual property, the importance of, um, you know, TikTok app versus Facebook app. I'm like, what is the TikTok app? So I have to find this stuff out for you so that I can give you good advice and get good insight. I look at things... As a Cold War, and we have, the U.S. has an advantage right now in intellectual property and technology. We are still the world power, and China's still copying us, whether it's companies like Flex or Broadcom, Qualcomm, Micron, Intel, Corvo. Uh, we kind of rock it, but the Cold War is there. And I bring that up in large part because I'm going to try to teach you a little bit more about tech. Here's how you can become a good tech company it's not about the best tech. Oh, <laughs> right? Let's test number 12 one more time. Right? It's not about the tech, right? Thank you. Thank you. I, I've got a tick. <laughs> I don't have a talk. I got a tick. So here's how you become the best tech company. Um, technological barriers, superiority is not relevant. It's irrelevant. It's less than relevant. It's irrelevant. The benefits that technological superior give you, it basically is fleeting. Better technology is not a sustainable competitive advantage. Technology tends to... Now, again, we're into kind of like technology 2.0 with social media. But if you talk about technology in Silicon Valley, you tend to talk about smaller, cheaper, faster. So the fact that computers went from 4,000 to 3,500 to 3,000, 2,500 to 2,000, 1,500, 500, smaller, cheaper, faster. Because the, the semiconductors got faster. They got cheaper. 
And how does this all work? How do you evaluate a tech company? You should have some questions written down for every type of company you buy. And one of the ones of, of them is the network effect. Is a product becomes more valuable the more people use it. Adobe is the standard for electronic publishing. Facebook is the standard for putting up ugly pictures of your children. Microsoft owned the market for PC until kind of Google came along and said, you know what, we can do an operating system for free. We'll throw Chrome on any computer. And while we're at it, we'll put our maps on. And we're going to suck a lot of data out of you because it's all free. And then we're going to reuse that data from you. And if it gets caught up in a breach, we'll say sorry. Sorry. Gilly from Saturday Night Live. Sorry. One of my favorite characters of Saturday Night Live, for the record. Um, and I am a Saturday Night Live kid. It's getting my generation. We grew up and, you know, you'd, you'd beg mom and dad to stay up. They'd say no. So you just turn on the, the TV really quietly and watch it while they were sleeping. But the network effect is super powerful. So can you get your product in everyone's hand, right? Or do you go in more of a niche thing? Like Snap is really about millennials in theory, but that's not a business model in of itself. There's a high switching cost. That's another thing that you're looking for in technology. If you've been trained on Adobe Photoshop and you have to go use something else, good luck to you. That curve is expensive. Um, I've got, I could do a better Excel spreadsheet than anyone else on this planet. I think if there was an Excel spreadsheet for Olympics, I would dominate it. For me to learn anything else, I'm sticking with Microsoft, baby. I've put my time in, right? And I, if I just called you baby and you were offended by that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because nobody backs baby into a corner. Time is money, as the Alan Olson commercial says again and again and again for the last seven years. But time is money, right? So relearning things is expensive. For Oracle, their power in the 90s and, and early 2000s was that their database was installed. And to gut it out, you lost everything. And it was expensive to put something new in. That was the power of it. It wasn't the best in the world. There was other companies like Informix, um, PeopleSoft. There was other companies that were doing Siebel systems um, that were doing just as good stuff. One of those companies, not a networking, not a database company. My mind's losing it. So you're looking for a network effect. Can you get the product in everyone's hand? Then you're looking for the high switching costs. Because once you're entrenched, you can ride this puppy for many, many years. Then you're looking for economies of scale. Intel probably doesn't make the best semiconductor in the world, but they can make the most of them. And when you can make the most of them, you can say, well, we're going to buy a lot of silicon from you. And uh, we like to buy 10 million pounds. And we're going to put it in these ovens over at Blood Materials, and they're going to bake it into a semiconductor. Not very many people can have that expensive of a, a model put into place where they can start spreading fixed costs. Spreading fixed costs is the dominant way to, to kick butt in your industry. Because then you couldn't like cheat in marketing. You can cheat in research. Intel, remember the whole ad campaign, Intel Inside? And it would go, do, 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 do. They did that because they could make millions and millions of them. Economies of scale, the network effect, high switching costs. Then you're looking for a cost advantage. Um, cost advantage can be easily explained of, you know, do you have to go to a mall to buy it? Or can you do a direct order on the internet? Amazon has a cost advantage because they don't have physical stores. Now they're starting to have physical stores and it makes me crazy. Before they're like, you want something? We'll send it to you from a warehouse. You don't even have to get off your butt. You just sit on your couch and uh, we'll bring it to you. Grubhub, we'll bring you food to like everyone will bring it to you, right? Cost advantages. If you can figure out a way to not pay retail space in rent, you're you're pretty good. And then you're looking for intellectual property. Qualcomm has so many patents. Apple has so many patents. Eh, some of them times they get abused. Sometimes they're like silly patents. Like we're going to come up with a communication device. Like that should go to Star Trek. Star Trek should own the intellectual property on all cell phones, right? With a communicator. It doesn't quite work like that, 
But those are the five things you're looking for in a tech company. Intellectual property, cost advantage, economies of scale, high switching cost, and network effect. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. There's something kind of odd about people who dress up their animals as other animals. I never quite get it. A guy who dresses up as Chihuahua is an alpaca. I don't get it. With that said, one thing that I want to teach you about is someone's getting rich selling alpaca costumes for Chihuahuas. A lot of us have these get-rich-quick ideas. A lot of us have some, you know, uh, I got the best business idea ever. If only I could get on Shark Tank. That's tough to pull off. How about this one? How about one day when you're just a little sperm and you meet the egg? And you're born into a family that has a dynasty of wealth. How about that for hitting the lottery, right? That's hot. That's hot. So we're going to talk a little bit about this. Because I want to discourage. I don't want to discourage. But those of you who think you're going to become a real estate tycoon... Those of you who think you're going to come up with something that makes you billions and billions of dollars, um, trading software, um, get rich quick ideas, notice the top 15 families. And this is a top 15 list from the home office in Scottsdale, Arizona. And talking about hitting the, the lottery, number 15, the Kathy family. It's worth $11 billion. Why? Chicken. Bark, bark, bark. Samuel Truett Kathy. Started Chick-fil-A in 1967. Wow, that's good 50-plus years ago, right? His sons Bubba and Dan share the fortune at about $5.5 billion each. So all Bubba and Dan did, they were the winning sperms. What is there, like a million sperms? Like, they were the guy, he was the fastest. Good for him. He was born... Oh, and this is a Chick-fil-A rap song. I know grown men who swear by Chick-fil-A. Five and a half billion each. Did nothing other than had a dad. Came up with a business model. Well, okay, maybe they ran the company and other things, but you get the idea. Number 14 on the list. The Stryker family. What does the Stryker family do? They're worth about $11.1 billion. A medical equipment company. Pretty cool, right? Americans are aging. Your heart's going to blow up. You're going to need a stent, a valve, a pacemaker, something inside your body, maybe a hip. So he's got three grandchildren, the guy who came up with it. Pat, John, and Rhonda. They each inherited grandchildren. $12 billion. They inherited a stake in a company that generated $12 billion in sales. Only one of them actually works for the company on the board of directors. What do they know about medical device equipments? They were the lucky sperms. They, they swam fat. Like, wow. Remember that Dave Matthews song, If I Could Have Been a Parking Lot Attendant or a Rich Billionaire? Uh, again, if I could have been that lucky guy to uh, get into a family of, of millionaires and billionaires. The Goldman family owns a lot of real estate. They come in number 13 on the list at $13.2 billion. Sol Goldman began the real estate firm in the 1950s by buying foreclosed properties at bargain prices. He has a 17% stake in the World Trade Center developments. It's embarrassing the amount of wealth this man has created for his family. Number 12 on the list, the Bass family, $13.3 billion. You know how they made their money? Oil. Like Dallas, like JR. They struck it rich, like the Beverly Hillbillies. Right? So maybe you can go in your backyard and see if you've got an oil patch under there. Oil tycoon. What a great thing to be, right? It's even better to be born to a dad with an oil tycoon because you didn't have to actually do any of the dirty work. In this family, the four brothers received $5.6 billion in stock after selling their company to ExxonMobil in 2017. Wow. Number 11 on the list, not as quite as fun, not as quite as sexy. 
the Ziff Brothers, basically PC Magazine and other publishing ventures. They own a lot of homes in Aspen, so they've taken their money and used it wisely. Number 10 on the list, S.C. Johnson. What does S.C. Johnson make? Pledge and Glade and Windex. company was founded in 1882 by Herbert Fisk Johnson. He died in 1928 without a will. <laughs> there was a fight for that money. Number nine on the list of richest families. The S.C. Johnson family. The Louder family. Louder. Louder. What's that? Estee Louder. Makeup. So, skincare products. Dominant. They own Mac. They own Clinique. billion in sales. And they were born not with a silver spoon, but a billion silver spoons in their mouth. And what do they do? They do philanthropy for art and the museums. Number eight on the list, the Duncan family, $24.8 billion. Now we're talking about serious money, right? I didn't even play around unless the lottery's at $24.8 billion. Not worth my time to do $24.7 billion. If I'm trying to get in and uh, be that little, how shall we say, sperm that gets the egg, I'm I'm going for a richer family. They do natural gas and oil. Um, Four children inherited $10 billion. Not too shabby. The Pritzker family. Never heard of the Pritzkers, have you? They're one of the founding members of the Hyatt Hotel chain. 11 members of the family are billionaires. 11 members of the family are billionaires because one man said, I want to start a place where people could sleep at night. That's amazing. Now, notice there's no day traders on this list. There's no... Um, online uh, trading, you know, scholarships. There's no, nothing. Moving further down the list, the Cox family. Probably don't know Cox Communications because I think it's more of an East Coast thing. But they did newspapers, they did radio stations, they did cable TV. And um, they also got into cars or automotive or retail sales or something like that. Huge wealth. Five grandchildren. Five grandchildren share the wealth of a company that generates billions of dollars, $37 billion of wealth. Can you imagine, like... You go on a date and you meet one of the grandchildren and they're like the most normal person in the world. And they're like, oh, by the way, I've got seven million dollars. Seven billion. Did you say million or billion? Billion. Oh, nice to meet you. When can I meet mom and dad? Kind of thing, right? The Edward Johnson family is worth $38 billion. It's been in the family for generations. Granddaughters own billions of dollars. The Cargill McMillan family, $38 billion. They're an agricultural business company. Again, no day traders. No people who started real estate from from their rooms. No people. It's people who inherited well, right? Jumping all the way down the Mars family, $72 billion fortune for Milky Way, M&Ms, and Mars bars, shared by two daughters, two granddaughters. And they all do foundation work. Number two, the Koch brothers, $107 billion for doing oil refineries. Very Republican donors. You probably heard of the Koch brothers. But the number one list, the number one family is the Walton family. $169 billion. And founded in 1962. That's a lot of money. $500 billion in sales. 11 plus billion in their children and grandchildren. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. I like winter sports. And what I've learned is it's tough to predict weather. Four inches can turn into on top of the mountain. 20. Four inches could be nothing. It could be melted by the next morning. 20 inches could be nothing. It could be hard as cement. So I don't forecast because, well, what do you forecast? But my forecast, I always go a little higher, a little low. I'm never spot on, right? You have to know that about yourself. Uh, maybe it's weather that teaches you that. 
So I've come up with 25 basic principles of investments. 25 basics. Time and a healthy savings rate will solve most investment loans. That's pretty true. People who are struggling today to make ends meet probably didn't start early enough or with 5%, 6%, 10%, 20%. I don't feel a lot of pity for people when they get to 60 and have nothing. I've got family members who are renting at $6,000 a month and have nothing in their 401ks. 50 years old, they're going to work till the day they die, but they want to live that lifestyle. So time and a healthy savings rate solves all investment wounds and mistakes. Number two, your top two financial priorities should be maxing out your 401k and paying off your credit card balance every month. If most Americans did that, we'd be in better shape. Number three, your employer stock is the riskiest stock to own. In large part, you already rely on your employer for a paycheck, possibly your health and life insurance. You crank up the risk level by putting more money of yours into their stock. I know people who work for PG&E their whole life and have nothing now. I know people who worked in TV at the station that I work at and have almost nothing because the, the previous, 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 previous owner went bankrupt. Uh, Cron TV was owned by Young Broadcasting, and Young, he's one of those guys who inherited his dad's money and didn't do it terribly well. Next star he owns him now is the largest TV player in the nation. They did it real well. Number four, if you invest in just a couple of stocks, the odds suggest you're going to lag the market because the market on any given year is driven by a minority of stocks. If Apple's up 100% and it's the biggest stock in the S&P 500, it can make the S&P 500 go higher. So we work with market-weighted indexes, and that's a problem. So if Intel, Microsoft, Google, Apple, Netflix do well, the, Netf- the NASDAQ can have a great year. And you can own 95 of the other 95 stocks and, and have a horrible year. Number five, 25 basic principles. If you will need your money back in a few months, it's foolish to own stocks. If you need your money back in 10 to 20 years... It's foolish not to own stocks. That's a fact, Jack. Look at any period of time in history, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and you've dominated real estate. You've dominated bonds by being in the S&P 500. Warren Buffett said, when I die, put 90% of my money into the S&P 500 for my wife. Why did he say that? He's one of the world's greatest investors. Number six, investors collectively can't beat the market because collectively they are the market. So you need to lower your costs. And that's where Vanguard... TD Ameritrade and Fidelity do really well with index funds and exchange-traded funds. If you ask a market forecast, your best bet is to express cautious optimism. So when people say, what do you think about the market this year, Rob? I'm going to be like, you know, there's a lot going on. There's taxes, and there's Trump, there's trade wars, there's higher interest rates. We haven't had a recession for a while. But, you know, in the next 10 years, I feel pretty good. You know why I say that? Because stocks rise over time. 70% of the time, stocks go up. The odds of you having fast food today are one in four. The odds of your luggage getting lost on an airplane are like one in 117. The odds of the stocks going up are seven in 10. And you know what the best part about that is? All you ignorant people out there who go, the stock market's like a roller coaster. Or I even hear commercials, stocks are volatile and they could go lower. No, no, they go up seven out of 10 years. They're at all time highs six months ago. Number eight. If you hear a stock touted on television, be careful. The news is already out there. If someone says, Apple's got this great service model and great phones, their phones turn straw into gold. Well, everyone already knows that. It's not a secret anymore, right? So don't think you have a secret. A tumbling stock market may be upsetting, number nine, but it doesn't have any financial impact on you unless you have to get that money back and you have to sell. There was one year the stock market was down 40%, and I saw my wealth cut in half. Almost in half, right? And three years later, it was back to its all-time high. So I didn't panic. I didn't sell. I didn't cry. I didn't go, now's the time to get out. My brother Mike did in the 1990s when there was a big correction in 92. My brother Mike uh, pulled everything out of the market, never got back in. 
I'm going to retire any day that I want to. Maybe today. My brother Mike's going to work till the day he dies. Number 10 on the list, long-run inflation is far greater threat than short-term market gyrations. Inflation's bad. Look at how much rent has gone up. Look at how much home prices have gone up. Look at how much cars have gone up. Have wages gone up as much? No. So I'm more worried about inflation than I am about the stock market going up and down. That's why I have to invest and beat inflation. Do you see the point? If I want to drink Coca-Cola and it goes from 25 cents to $2, I better turn my 25 cents into $2 over that same period of time or more. If I want to buy a house that, you know, 10 years ago was $100,000, that today I have to earn more money. In that case, probably more of a mortgage payment, right? So going back to the list of top 25 principles you need to have, if you don't fully understand an investment, don't buy it. I see too many people buying things like I remember back in 2002, someone was like, excited home had gone from like $36 to $6. And she called the show and she said, what should I do? And I said, why are you calling now? You've lost 85, 80% of your investment. You should have had a plan where it goes down 20% you sell. She, she bought a stock that she had no clue. I'm like, do you know how much money they're losing? She's like, no. I just thought they were a good tech stock. So she was just trying to ride the theme. Very ignorant. Very ignorant. So if you can't fully understand it, don't buy it. Number 12, focus on how much your portfolio makes each year after making allowances for investment costs, inflation, and taxes. You got to factor all that in. Same thing with your house. People are like, my house has gone up so much in value. But every month you have to pay your mortgage. Are you factoring that in versus the stock market that's up 12% this year? Your house isn't up 12% this year. Stock market's been up for nine straight years. Your, your, Your house hasn't done that well. Depends on where you live. Some houses have done that well. But a large majority hasn't. I own a piece of property in Raleigh that's you know probably up 30% while the market's up over 110%. I'm not complaining. Number 13 on the list of top 25 principles, at a shopping mall, price has some sort of bearing on quality. When you look at clothes, a $100 blouse is probably better than a $10 blouse, right? But when it comes to investing in stocks, a $100 stock is no different than a $10 stock. Find, find great companies. Buy great companies. Don't worry about the price. Number 14 on the list, it's hard to bolster your returns by picking superior stocks and stock funds. It's easy to boost long-term performance by cutting back on bonds and money market funds. So when you're younger, you expose yourself to a little bit more risk, a little bit more volatility. Number 14, it's hard to... um, Number 15, over the long haul, a mediocre stock fund will outperform a brilliant bond or or money manager, money fund manager. Um, The S&P 500 is so much better than a bond fund or putting your money in cash. I saw that there's an online bank right now that's offering 2.24% in cash. That's pretty good. That would have beat the markets in some years. But not many. Number 16 on the list. Short-term bonds will give you the most of the yield of the long-term bond. I don't do long-term bonds. I don't recommend long-term bonds. If I'm going to do any bond, I'm going to do a short-term bond because there's not a big difference for me between 1.5% and 2.5%. So and I don't want to get locked into that long-term bond and, and potentially get squeezed into a lower return. Um, number 17, I don't even want to bring it up. Number 18, if you need cash, sell a stock market loser rather than a winner. Okay, now here's an interesting one. With stocks... I'd rather sell my losers and keep my winners. With mutual funds, I'd rather buy more of my losers and sell, trim my winners. So in a mutual fund, I mean, let's say I want to have 20% technology. So my tech fund selling becomes 24%, whereas maybe my retail fund went from 8% down to 4%. I would take some of the winnings from the mutual fund that was winning to to buy more of the one that's down because I like it in the long-term sector. But with individual stocks, I'm much more loyal to winners than losers. And, you know, the simple idea, who do you want to be your quarterback next year? Patrick Mahomes, who had a great one year, or Tom Brady, who's had a great 18 years? Or do you want to go with a kid out of Illinois State who's five foot two, but he wins an Academy, or he wins a Heisman Academy Award? Oh, I'm so naive when it comes to sports. Um, I don't prepay my mortgages. That may change with the new tax laws. But for every dollar you pay in mortgage interest, you may 
save 28 cents in taxes, assuming you're in the 28% federal income tax bracket. Paying $1 of mortgage interest will leave you 72 cents poor because you've already paid taxes on it. I don't prepay money. The bank has given me a low interest rate of 3.25% on a mortgage, 3.75%. I'd rather have my cash in stocks for the long term than in my house. And if it burns down, it's a liability and not necessarily a winner for me. So I'd rather the bank take the risk and keep the money on my side of the balance sheet. I don't prepay mortgages. Wealthy people, financial planners, don't prepay mortgages. Susie Orman, who says prepay a mortgage. Eh. Ramsey, who says uh, don't buy a house unless you pay for it in cash. What he's really saying is don't buy a trailer unless you can pay for it in cash because you're going to have to put all that money in your jar. Um, I think that's silly. I'm Rob Black, especially when money's cheap. When money's expensive, it's great advice. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. So I was talking about the 25 principles. I want you to write stuff down. Writing it down makes it true. When I was eight, a girl blurted out that she loved me, and I wasn't in love with her. But I give her credit for saying that. And she said it in front of the, like a whole soccer team of guys. I love you, Rob Black. I was like, yeah, I'm going to get back to soccer now. All the guys are teasing me. But by 10, I had a little crush on someone. And I carved her initials in a tree and my initials. And it made it true. I'm proud that I did that. It wasn't shared. But I dislike people who dream about the future. I dislike people who talk about the future. You got to take some action. You got to write stuff down. I want to have a million dollars by the time I retire. I want to have $4 million by the time I retire. You got to write stuff down. Otherwise, you're just like, it's in your head. So number 21 on my list of things written down is only insure against true disasters. Later today, I might be at Best Buy and I might buy a hard drive to back up my data, right? And they'll go, do you want to buy a two-year extended warranty on it? I'm like, no, because in two years, that $100 hard drive is going to be 50 bucks. I'm good with that kind of, I'm good with that kind of risk. If the general manufacturer warranty, if it's going to break, it's typically going to break in under a year. So I'm good with that. That second year, eh. Now, a cell phone that you're going to put in the hand of a kid or an iPad or a mobile computer, you better insure that, in my opinion, because that's something that's more expensive and more likely to break. But then again, some services come up where it doesn't necessarily break. It just breaks the screen. You get the screen replaced for $25 in a mall. I was playing Fortnite not that long ago, and uh, this guy takes an order. It was fantastic. He takes an order. Someone comes into a store and drops off the phone. He's like, eh, it's going to be $65. I'll replace glass on that. And he's talking to his friends while he's playing, and he, he kind of knows that I'm listening, and I'm, I'm fascinated by this. He started a business of fixing phones. And I, I, I don't know how big of it is, but good for him. He came up with something innovative, right? Um, and I'm like, how much is the glass? You know, when people sell back their phone to Apple, he's like, what's it for? He's like, it's glass. They want glass back. That's the expensive part of replacing phones, of replacing phones. So only insure against true disasters. If you have a young family, you insure your health. You insure your health once you turn 20, once you're no longer on your parents' health plan. You insure your life if you've got a wife or children who need your income. You do it through term life insurance. You insure your, uh, some drunk driver hits you and disables you, so you get disability insurance. When you own a home or rent a home, you get some renter's insurance in case your roommate decides to steal everything from you or he leaves the door open. Number 22, most of the long-run gain from owning a home comes from appreciation of the land. The house itself tends to deteriorate. There's been a lot of wind and rain recently. I have to go fix a lot of the wood around my home. My roof probably has five more years. But the real estate, the land still goes up in value, even though it's soaked and saturated right now. The home itself has expensive repairs. The land, it doesn't. So you insure the home, you don't insure the land. I know people who go, I bought a million-dollar home. I'm calling my insurance company to get a million-dollar insurance. No, no. If the house is $350,000 rebuild, you get 
$350,000 plus 25% overrides. And in five years from now, you find out how much contractors are charging and you up your insurance there. Number 22, no, number 23 on the list. To avoid taking a financial hit, a big financial hit, don't buy commodities. Don't get into margin. Oh, one of the mistakes I see people make is opening a margin account and then treating it like, well, I'm just gonna buy more stocks. And then they don't expect a down market. And let's say you bought, let's say you have 100 shares of Apple and you go on margin, it's a loan against your 100 shares. They say you can buy 30 more shares and you go, I'm buying 30 more shares. And then all 130 shares start going down. You have to pay it back and you're taking a big loss. And you don't want to sell it because you had a 10-year plan, but in the short term, something went bad. Margin, commodities, derivatives, options. Most people I know, no, no, no. The only people I know who make money trading options work in Chicago. Now, the broker or the radio show or the TV show that says you should buy options, it's because there's big commissions in it. Steer clear. Number 24 on the list of top 25 principles is don't invest in a vacuum. Um, If you're saving for long-term goals, retirement goals... Um, it makes no sense to smoke, drink, never exercise because you're not going to make it the long term. If your parents died at 60 from massive heart attacks, you're not going to live to 80 more than likely. So invest as if you're going to live to 70. Now you can be the different person. You know, the silliest piece of investment advice that I tell people, it's not to water your yard with your neighbor's hose when he's on vacation. That's not a bad one. Not a bad one. But my silliest piece of advice is take care of your teeth. Teeth are expensive to replace and repair. And the insurance is BS. It's just not good. So today, if you floss twice, you'll get Rob Black's seal of approval. If you brush three times, you'll get Rob Black's seal of approval. So don't invest in a vacuum. Um, once you have kids, get healthy. You know, start cutting down on alcohol, start cutting down on cigarettes and marijuana, whatever. Um, you want to live a good long life and you want the money to last a good long time. So I just said something kind of interesting. Your parents are a gauge for how you should invest. My dad died before the age of 60. He died at 58. Do you know how badly he screwed my financial future by dying at 58? Um, That's one strike. You get two strikes in life insurance. My mom got diabetes late. Late, no problem. Had she got it earlier, problem. Had my mom died, I wouldn't be getting life insurance. Because they're like, you ain't going to make it. Odds are you got a bad, faulty heart. You're prone to cancers. Something. So... And my final piece of principles that I stand by and stick with, when in doubt, do nothing. It's your cheapest course of action. I find people make the most financial mistakes when someone asks them a question or they feel a need like, oh no, Donald Trump's going to be president. The market dropped 500, 600, 700 points. Two days later, it was right back to where it was. But because people got scared because they felt emotional, they had doubts come in. Best thing to do is do nothing. I know it sounds odd, yet it's true. So tune into future episodes, come to seminars, do what you can to support me. The seminars are super cheap. In fact, they're free. You can sign up at Rob Black's show, use the code radio 25. There's one coming up. Um, I'd love to see you. I try to give my best for you. Do your best. Soak some of it in. Refer a friend. See you out there soon. Listen every day. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.